1: Welcome to the latest Irish Illustrated Insider, Pete Sampson, joined by Tim O'Malley as Tim Priester is off in Brooklyn covering the ACC tournament and uh, being a hipster for a few days, waxing his handlebar mustache. Canned beers
0: and basements to places that cost $12. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: He's just really fitting in is what we're saying. Um, well, O'Malley and I are back here in South Bend covering Notre Dame's first spring practice. It's our only access to the program. Uh, for the next two weeks, because they're on spring break, uh, sort of extended spring practice. Three captains named today, Drew Tranquil, no surprise, Sam Muster for no surprise, Tyler Newsom, slight surprise, and Brian Kelly saying that a fourth captain will be named by the end of spring ball. Uh, we saw about a half hour practice. Why don't, why don't we just talk about captains, because we had access to all three of them today. Um, all three are interesting personalities in their own right, and I asked Brian Kelly, like, do you see these guys as more similar or more different? And he's like, no, they're totally different. And I would I would agree with Brian Kelly. I thought
0: it was interesting that Drew Tranquil volunteered. He's more of a, uh, he just wants to get to know guys one-on-one. That's his style of leadership. He says He's a relational uh, leader. You can see Sam Mustafer probably appeals to everyone when he's out there. He's just a, I mean, he's a smart kid. He's funny. Uh, he's a good football player now, and I think he, I kind of asked him this question, grew into this leadership role. He certainly was nowhere. Mid-season 2016, no one would have said Sam is a future uh, Notre Dame captain because everybody was bagging on his play. Since then, he's become a really good football player, and he said he kind of learned how to lead last year from, from those SWAT teams, and just obviously he had two great leaders next to him. Those are obvious choices. Tyler Newsom, when you talk to Drew Tranquil, Sam Mustapher, and Brian Kelly, it becomes a not an obvious third choice, but it just seems like, I mean, if you get 50% of the votes from, there's about 65 players right now, that's thats pretty telling because there's a lot of guys you can vote for. Um, and I guess Brian Kelly kind of dropped a few comments along the way of this is not about production. You don't just, that's not what being a captain Notre Dame is. And Tyler Newsom's was, this is relevant to me. There are eight SWAT teams. Last year there were seven captains. Seven captains were captains of their own SWAT team, and Tyler Newsom was the eighth. Obviously he has kind of been growing into this role as well.
1: And last year's group that he got, he sort of got like, we'll say he got the leftovers. Like he got he got the guys that needed to have their butts kicked to get in line. And if the coaching staff trusts you to do that, whether you batted a thousand on those with those guys or not, that's you know, I think that speaks to sort of how you're respected because you can't give these the. The problem players to the punter and hope that the punter is just going to whip them into shape, unless you know that that punter has a personality like Tyler Newsom has, where clearly has a love of Notre Dame, which I think is important for a
0: captain. Love of uh, South Bend, apparently, too. Yeah, that love of
1: South Bend. So there's a lot of nice people there, which is great. Thanks. Thanks, Tyler. Well,
0: was just, he talked about how much he loves South Bend in his yeah. speech today. Well, he does a lot of charity work if people don't know around, and I think he's he's really been impacted yeah. by it. So I think he's
1: yeah won around the bend. I think maybe multiple times, which is Notre Dame's community service award uh, for the football program. But I mean, just he. Was reflecting on his tattoos, uh, a life-changing accident that he had in high school.
0: Um, A meeting with a doctor in his hospital room? Yeah,
1: and just sort of how certain he was that he was going to play football again after that. And he talked a lot about how, in the hospital, being around other kids who had athletics taken away from them uh, due to illnesses or injury. And he feels like he can affect people in a positive way. Um, so that, that was all very impressive to me. And we, I think from the beginning, you heard Tyler Newsom, man, this guy's just a really unique personality. But I never really got like what the heck people were talking about. You know, and, and I would ask and I would never really get a straight answer.
0: I knew he was a free spirit. Uh, Jack and I went up to interview him two years ago and he was, I mean, it was just, I'm going to sit down to talk to a punter for the first time. This is when he was just, uh, I guess a redshirt sure, freshman probably, so three years ago, he's just talking about ripping it up in the weight room and shredding it and all this. like, <laughs> this is an interesting thing when you're talking to a punter who's never been on the field before. But that's, I mean, just, it was clearly the most interesting captain's interview we've ever had today with Tyler Newsom. I mean, everything, it, it, it's going to make Wednesdays fun, I suppose, but people don't care about that. But you, you they did elect a uh, very interesting captain, Tyler Newsom, in terms of the human being, the student athlete, and... uh He likes to talk, too. (laughs) Works out well. He said uh, it's great to be... But he started volunteering information when Mike Birch said he was done. It's great to be back for a fifth year. They can't get rid of me here and things like that. (laughs) So, I mean, he'll be fun. The key is, though, not that he's fun. It's that 50% of a football team voted for a punter in the spring to be their captain. That's impressive.
1: Yeah, I think Brian Kelly said there were 88 ballots... And I know he said 85% listed Tranquil. I wonder if he meant 85 of the 88
0: I assume so, because you would think no one wouldn't list Tranquil after last year, but I think he might have misspoke on that one. Who
1: who in the world is leaving off Drew Tranquil? That doesn't make any sense. Um, So, yeah, I think that with Tranquil and Mustafa in particular, you would like to have captains speak for his... But when we're talking to them after after a Miami type of game, or, or just on a Wednesday in the middle of training camp, you would like to believe that they're speaking for a broad group of the team. Obviously, with Tranquil, we felt that way last year. McGlinchey, we felt that way last right. year. I think with Mustafer and Tranquil, you feel the same way, um, that you're not speaking for pockets of the team. I I am interested about Mustafer as a Rochelle-Anawalu type of captain, which I know Notre Dame was, like they had that, in 2016, when things went sideways, yeah, just because he's he's a little bit more reserved, but I but I do think he's got um a willingness to put himself out I there, do too.
0: I don't think I think we're probably both looking at reserved and intelligent in those three guys, and that doesn't that doesn't mean they have the same styles yeah. between the lines. Uh, I do, Rochelle kind of admitted he wasn't necessarily comfortable in, in, in coming in front of a room, mm-hmm. um. I feel like Sam Mustapher is at this point. It just sounds like he was such an obvious captain to every, I mean, we've been talking about Mustapher as the other guy this entire time. Uh, there will be a fourth as a segue to that. Brian, it's kind of odd, the transparency of this process, but Brian Kelly is going to name a fourth captain at the end of spring. Um, he then said he wouldn't name a fifth, but you never know what will happen in, uh, in August. So I think we've all kind of decided that the leader in the clubhouse, no pun intended, is Julian Love at the end of the spring. Um, Six or seven guys got a lot of votes. He removed the names and put the vote totals on the board so players on the team know. And those six or seven guys can guess that they're close to being a captain. And he's basically using the spring to figure out who the fourth one is. It's a lot of talk about captains. Sometimes it's just, you know, guys are captains and we never have to d- dig so deep and figure things out here, but it's... I guess after last year's 7-pack, and now it's a big deal of the captaincy. Yeah,
1: I, yeah, 25 different players got votes, which I thought was kind of interesting, because, I mean, if we were just sitting here, could you name 25 players that would get a captaincy
0: vote? No, I'm and he also... Sure that I could. I couldn't either, he added that he didn't feel like there were any throwaway votes, which was interesting. Yeah. 25 guys, I mean, he has... I mean it's that, a lot of juniors he believes in, I guess. That's, be, that's every starter and both specialists. <laughs> um So that's just a lot of guys. I mean...
1: If we're gonna hypothesize about okay, who are the four to six? Julian Love, Tavon Coney. I bet Jerry Tillery got a but, fair amount of votes for the next six. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Alex Bars would be in that group. I don't. I don't know enough about Javon or not not Javon McKinley, Miles Boykin's personality to say right. whether he is like a leader personality or not well-spoken doesn't mean leader we just haven't spent enough time with him
0: and then wisher i don't know enough about his uh wisher's one of the leaders of the swat teams um coney bars tillery the three captains Mm -hmm. and i don't know the eighth uh but i bet it is boykin now that i think about it
1: yeah i mean he's sort of probably sort of got the whole thing happening um you know some off the field success on the field success recently i mean he was good
0: today um and
1: obviously he's pretty
0: sharp dude for people that don't care about the nitty-gritty of captains, this is relevant. What if Brandon Wimbush's name isn't one of those six or seven?
1: Um, I would think it is, actually. I think it's one of those 25. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> I mean, Ian Book probably is, too.
0: True. Yeah, I bet you Wimbush is in there, but I think that... I don't think he'll name Wimbush the captain, obviously. Um, Which, unless like, he's dynamite this spring, and that speaks volumes that he can't name his senior quarterback. As a
1: when was the last quarterback who was a captain during the season, or Brian Kelly? It's never happened No, here.
0: and it's... And I wonder if Reese would have been, if not for the arrest. but that's a strange... It's It's strange that Brian Kelly came here with his reputation. They've not had a captain quarterback. Yeah. It, it Kaiser little, would have been, obviously. But.
1: It is a little bit odd. Um, so why don't we spin it into what we actually saw today. Um, you watched Brandon Wimbush a little bit, and for how much that Brian Kelly talked after practice about footwork much improved. Not. It, it sounds like you weren't like, I'm a believer. No,
0: no. He was fine. I mean, it was his first pass was comical, and I don't know what happened there. And there was a couple, I was talking to people, there was a few telling slant routes where he's just, I don't know if he throws it too hard, if he's gripping the ball too much, it just comes out funny, he had nosedives. But uh, he had a, I mean, on 80% of the other throws, he looked really good, but he should because it's its skeleton, or it's one-on-one. He, he was fine in the one-on-ones, but again, these, these one-on-ones, every time you see a receiver toast anyone... They have the whole field. They should get open most of the time. Now, sometimes Julian Love will do something and lock you down. We saw a couple good plays by Jen Markeith. Um, but usually, you better get open. And, like, that's why Chris Fink is a dominant practice player when we're there. Because none of them can cover him in these spaces. But that's not that's not football on Saturdays. Books are more accurate quarterback than Wimbush. Not, we're not breaking any new ground here. But it's obviously not the whole package. I mean, I I can't imagine... I'll keep saying this: nine more months of drilling doesn't make him Brandon Wimbush, a fifty-eight percent passer, and that's what his legs need to be. Ian Book needs to be about a sixty-two percent passer, and I'm just—I mean, those are not exact numbers, but you know, Brandon Wimbush can survive with his playmaking ability as a fifty-eight percent passer if he's not missing the dumb throws that he missed last year. Just make the horizontal throws for crying out loud. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. No, I mean that—that that would fifty-eight. Eight percent would actually be a very sizable challenge. It would
0: be, but that's a quarterbacks should be able to complete that nowadays with the throws they make. There's so many gimme throws. The problem with Wimbush is he missed the gimme throws. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's no, there's no question about that. I watched the defense. Um Jim Markeith I thought was interesting, slimmed down, looked very athletic. Um, you know, I thought he was gr- he was bulking up into a linebacker last year, now he just looks like a really athletic safety. He, was, he looked
0: all the world like a rover at the end of last year, didn't he? Yeah. And now he's he's it's, he's obviously Convinced he's going for the job at safety now.
1: Yeah, I, you know, the defensive line came out with Hayes and Hayes as the starting ends. I thought Kareem might push there a little bit, probably still will. I mean, obviously they're all going to play, so it's not that big of a deal. Um, Bilal was the first team rover with Owusu Karamoa with the twos. I, I think it just in terms of who would look best at the beach, um, Owusu Karamoa would be high on the list. I mean, he's got some really some some good genetics there. Um, kind of a low body fat. He's he's really put together. I don't know how he's going to fit into the the scheme this fall. Um, Rover is like for how much issue they had at safety last year. I'm more confident about safety than I am about Rover.
0: Yeah, because they are not moving Drew Tranquil back. He is the buck. Right. Remember, I had surmised, hey, if it doesn't work out, he'll just go back because he's so good at it. He is. He's playing this position, and that's part of the reason he came back. He admitted it. He admitted part of the reason he came back was to grow into the position where he's going to play in the NFL, and that is this spot or a spot similar to this. Yeah, I, I would have concerns about Rover. You you made a, you made kind of just said as an aside today while we were watching practice, we were kind of talking about how Asmar Bilal was just the least productive guy that played a little bit last year. But he is a senior in his second year in the system, and it's humanly possible he could grow into this role. It's not like, it wouldn't be out of this world for Asmar Bilal, the senior, to make a giant leap second year with the same defense. No, it, it would not shock me if Asmar Bilal had
1: like a uh, a Jonas Gray type of senior year. Maybe not that dramatic, but a guy that basically did nothing for three years, then it was like, oh, good college player. Um, I think Asmar Bilal has good college player ability. Yeah. Talent. So if that happens then Rover won't be that big of a question. It but between Bilal, Usu Carmoa, and I think Shane Simon is like future captain down the road type of material. Um that's they've got a lot to work with
0: there. They just don't have a lot of proven commodities. And they don't have Simon here right now, which would have been invaluable oh, yeah. for this. That would have been invaluable for this. Yeah, that situation. would have been
1: that would have been huge. Uh I think other guys on defense that I was curious to see, Julian Acquire down ten pounds. he it looks yeah, skinny. What
0: did you think? I was gonna say, what did you think about that?
1: It looks skinny. I I, didn't, I thought so. Too. Like, it, just in terms of how it looks, it doesn't look good. Um, I know, but asking around, uh, it's not like this was it's not like he had mono or anything, right. you know. This the the weight loss was intentional, and like, like many things in college athletics, even even weight training, which would be a surprise to people, is not just always in a straight line up, um, you know, it ebbs and flows. And I think last year. What did we hear about Aquara? That he had surprising um, sort of explosive strength, even at 235, 240. I don't think that's going away. Um, But it's just interesting that Dalen Hayes at 262, I think. He looks bigger. Um, he, He looks bigger and Julian Acquara at 230 are the same position. That's a, that's a pretty big gap between the same spot.
0: We were standing, I was watching the offense, but standing next to the defensive line, we are kind of above them for every practice indoors, so I heard Mike Elston, you you watched this, kind of complimenting in a roundabout way, um, A.D. Ogundigi, who he has the look of a guy that can develop still. He has three more years you know, yeah. at, at the spot. <clears throat> the arms, the size, if he could put it together, I thought Elston's telling comment was... I'm not surprised you're looking so good, finally. <laughs> or something along those lines like, you did that drill perfectly, and I'm finally not surprised or something. So that's, that's. I mean, that's the little inside things you get to hear. Uh, cause we really only get to hear Mike Elston, these yeah. practices. And that that's telling, because we, we thought, you know what? that He didn't look terrible last year when we thought he might. At the beginning of last spring, we thought, oh, he's just a project. And all of a sudden, man, he's not. He looks like he could be something someday. And then they have depth at defensive end, so they have some time for him. But... More important now would be Aquara, and I would do when I ask, I want to ask Elston. Why? What's the deal with having him what was the yeah. plan for him to lose 10 pounds? It doesn't you, seem like that's the natural thing. Yeah, you
1: were on offense today, and I realized the offensive line was about 125 <laughs> yards away from us. With no pads. Um, yes. Still, usually we can hear he Harry hear Harry He stand from that distance. You could not hear Jeff Quinn at all. Um no, no slight on Jeff Quinn. <laughs> yeah. There by We're not the way. ripping on him on that. No. Um how how did you think about the way that they came out in tempo, and was any of that a surprise?
0: No, only reason it was a surprise was Brian Kelly said we're going to have about five combinations of offensive lines going out here, so that didn't shock me. I guess I'd be surprised if that is the offensive line setup. I cannot get into my head that Kramer isn't going to be a guard, but that's, you know, I don't watch them practice every day. I'm not the offensive line coach, but yeah. it, Tommy Kramer seems like a guard to me, Um for people listening and wondering, Liam Eikenberg was the backup right tackle. Kramer stayed as the starting right tackle. This is just today's lineup because Kelly has said there are going to be many imaginations out there, and part of it is Trevor Rule, who you pointed out, is going to get some work at guard. He was a backup left guard behind Josh Lugg. Um, Quentin Nelson's old spot. Mm-hmm. Easy to step into. And because they they have Colin Grunhardt, a walk-on, who's able to work at center, it's smart. You just need to get him reps because he is going to be, that's like last year, their walk-on is going to be a third-string center. So part of it is spring practice. They have nine scholarship offensive linemen, mm-hmm. and you have to have a good walk on for number ten. And there's going to be moving around a lot. I just don't think you won't see Hanzy move. Uh, you're not going to see Muster per move. And I will be one. I will wonder if they just cement bars next to Muster for, for cohesion as well. If that's the case, you're going to see a lot of guys moving to left guard and left tackle.
1: Yeah, and I think it's we've said this on previous podcasts. We've right so written on the board just that. Josh Lugg, they think, has superstar ability. I mean, this, the coaching staff is incredibly high on him. And I've heard that they're, they are very pleased with what Aaron Banks put together in the offseason, too. I think he listed he was only minus 5 pounds on the roster, but they feel like he is... That would be one where he's probably dropped 15 to 20 pounds of bad and added 15 pounds of good for a net minus 5. Um, they think he's in tremendous physical condition. Chip Long told me at the bowl game that they see him as more of a tackle. I don't know how he gets on the field to tackle, and they certainly have an opening at guard now, and they, right an op- and they will have an opening at guard next year as well.
0: Unless it's right tackle. I mean, that's Kramer goes to guard, but you see, that's it's it's a decent problem to have right now. Yeah. Um, Eichenberg is the most interesting to me in that he... I don't think he ever challenged Tommy Kramer, at least last August. Um, and then they got moved to back up Mike McGlinchey, which basically meant... Well, we know he didn't, because they moved Rapper Hainsey over to play with Tommy Kramer. Yeah. So, then, they, you know, backing up Mike McGlinchey means you get to redshirt. Basically, even though he had already redshirted. yeah. So, he's in year three, and, you know, a couple of years ago, he was the guy that Brian Kelly, he has one every spring, said he can just play any position he wants. I'm just glad he's here. I thank him for coming every day. He's that good. So, year three would be about the time he would think he would start challenging for an open spot.
1: I have heard good things about him privately, too, though, that I, just in terms of the weight room. I mean, in this is something I heard earlier. So maybe not much has changed and he needs to find an extra gear, but like just in the weight room, he is and an, a monster there and has a real high pain tolerance and a high work rate and all that good stuff. So if he is an outstanding sixth man, great. Um, right. I think that's fine. But, um, I think, you know, he, it's time for they, that to be they, at least the yeah. case, though. Yeah, there will be a role for him in some way this fall, and then as a senior, as a fifth-year senior, then that role probably opens up even more. But it's they—they they have good material. I think they have a really nice top seven. Uh, on the offensive line,
0: with Banks and Eichenberg as the top two backups right now, yeah, I agree. Yeah,
1: you know, and it's, I'm I'm curious to see what happens with Rulon because, in, just in terms of raw ability, he he would be below all those guys, but he would
0: be a solid eighth no matter how from what yeah. they talk about him. Yeah, it's but if
1: he just knows what he's doing better yeah. than those other guys, which seems to be the case, um, I think that was something that Long said at the bowl game that uh, Ruland sort of had one of the higher football IQs of that group um, of the next wave coming through. There's value in that too. So it's, there, there's going to be a lot to figure out. We're, we won't see them again until next Tuesday. Yeah, that's another 30 two, minutes. two weeks from today. Two weeks from
0: today. They're off next week. They practice Thursday. We won't be there. if They have a week off and we see their, we see two practices from now for them. And that's uh, another 30 minutes. And then later on that, on that weekend, we get a full practice viewing, which is the key because they'll be in pads by then.
1: Yeah. That will be insightful, the, the coaches' clinic practice. So there's, There will be a lot more to glean and hash over and make something out of maybe nothing uh, as we watch spring practice. We will
0: choose the starting quarterback after that. (laughs) I mean, why can't we have that figured out?
1: All right, well, that's it for segment one. Irish Illustrated Insider we will come back. Questions for our readers recruiting football hoops next. Segment two, Irish Illustrated Insider, as we anxiously await the tip-off of Notre Dame-Pittsburgh from the ACC tournament. Um, And let's talk basketball before we get into more football and some recruiting questions. And this is more a talking point than a question, but Notre Dame's odds for the NCAA tournament, I think we're both of the same mindset about what they need to get done in Brooklyn, and we're thinking semifinals at a minimum.
0: I agree with what you said today. While we we're waiting for Brian Kelly, they need two wins, and today doesn't come. Yeah, because this is a this game is just a. It's good they get to play it. It's the one team that's not at all dangerous in the ACC. Um, if you lose to Pitt, it's the most humiliating loss. Uh, and <laughs> since games started mattering in Notre Dame basketball, so they will not lose the game to Pitt today with Fonzie Colson back and Matt Farrell healthy. I think they absolutely. I know we are in the minority on this from the talk around the media today. I think they have to beat Duke. I could conceivably see... That gets into the semifinals. Yeah. I guess conceivably they lose an overtime game to Duke and Bonzi Colson's lights out and they put one on Virginia Tech or something. But I think they finally... they got to win a game of consequence, not just be like, oh, look, they're better. Bonzi's back. They lost a couple of games they shouldn't have lost with Colson. This is another thing we discussed. If they were, whatever, 13-1 without Bonzi Colson and he comes back... And they, only lose to they Virginia, should have been. Which they should have been. And they only lose to Virginia close, and they only lose to Duke close. Then you'd be like, "Well, oh, look, they're clearly one of the 34 best at large teams. You cannot... I, I believe they are one of the 34 best at large teams, but that case cannot be the... the I'm glad I'm not in the room, but I'd be intellectually honest with the committee. <laughs> that can't be the case right now. You need a body of work. They need to get a win against a real team like Duke.
1: I agree. For starters, KenPom.com ran 10,000 game simulations, and none had the Panthers advancing past Notre Dame in the first round.
0: They are they're historically bad yeah they suck the Notre Dame kind of people inside the program looked at that game that pit game and they just thought this is an Im- the, f- the first one of the yeah. home the home game Pitt was losing every row game by an average of 21 points they knew they could you've never heard a coach and staff and players just be like well you know not really about the other team they don't they, they didn't know anybody on Pitt to talk about it was a remarkable <laughs> thing I don't know what happened to pitt basketball if somebody out there knows Jamie Dixon stopped recruiting <laughs> this isn't working. Kevin Stallings. They're not cheating, apparently. No. No. <laughs> no, it was a very defeated group. Yeah.
1: But I, I'm with you because I, I feel like the argument for Notre Dame making the tournament if they beat Virginia Tech is very uh, 2015 Notre Dame football in the playoffs about, like, well, look at our great losses. And i was like, you got to have some wins at some point. Like, they've beaten one team in the ACC with a, a conference-winning record in NC which they smoked three months ago. So I don't... I just don't get it. Um, the, well, we want I, them to be in. it yeah, be fun to watch. I don't get the beat Virginia Tech and you're in. Right now on Bractology on ESPN, they're in the first four out. They but, they're, but, they're to the, us. but they're the fourth of those four. Above them is Louisville in the first four out where they lost two at home. Uh, Oklahoma State's in there and I think Marquette's in there. So I think Notre Dame's in a situation right now, if they just beat Virginia Tech and then they lose to Duke, what happens in other conference tournaments, um, whether it be the mid-majors or the majors, will determine whether Notre
0: name gets in or not. If they want to beat
1: In-In, then they have to beat Duke. And
0: they right? should Some be In-In if they beat Duke, because then the number one argument in their favor, they're with Bonzi back, they're clearly one of the best 34 teams, becomes right uh, readily apparent yeah, to yeah, you. Yeah, that's, that. no,
1: that's a no-brainer. Which I would have said if they had beaten Virginia yes, last weekend. Yes, no doubt about it. They'd be In-In, but I, I don't want to hear the close loss of Virginia being used as an argument to include them. Because I, I, I just don't... Look, Louisville threw a game away against Virginia just the, the week earlier, and they're still in the first uh, first four. Out. I, mean, I
0: will say one thing for Notre Dame here, and I think I had this explained to me by two different people, including Jay Bellis In a conversation with Jay Bellis. <laughs> just whatever. Do you see him at Martins and a, or uh, what? Coaches versus cancer. Okay. A coaches versus <laughs> <Martin's>, yeah, <laughs> And the Coaches versus cancer event. The committee basically has their at-large teams before these conference tournaments start so when everybody says they need two wins they need three wins they need that that applies only to the special case teams like Notre Dame getting Bonzi Colson back if Notre Dame had this exact same record and Bonzi Colson wasn't back they would not get in winning against Duke Mm -hmm. because you can't think that that's just a random win it's an upset win Mm -hmm. So Notre Dame is a special case this year. That's why every time people fans are like, "Well, what happened to our seed?" and we wouldn't go that. They already had your seed plant. Like they, they really know what they want to do. And then there's like three or four teams that the and Notre Dame is one of those three or four teams right now. Most teams don't make major jumps or don't get in just because they win two games at their conference tournament. No one cares about that.
1: All right, we got a Twitter question which I've edited down for the sake of civility. Uh, it's from Dan Bryant. He wants to know about Russ, Lex Fluger, and his minutes played. Why so many in terms of his production on the other end? And he also wants to know, John Mooney with Bonzi Colson and Martin Gavin—is that a lineup you would see Bray ever using?
0: I think he. I think he'll have to a little bit um, because Mooney's a stretch four. He's a shooter. Um, the good thing about Mooney as a stretch four is he's also a pretty long guy inside. He he's he's not a, a weak frail guy inside by any mm-hmm. chance. Which which, I mean, the closest. It's awful to use this comparison because you're always doing the. Just because the guy played there recently, Rob Curse, he can grow into that role a little bit. Um, Rex Fluger was one of seven scholarship players for about two weeks. I don't know <laughs> who who did you want yeah. him to turn to. They don't, and they didn't have another backup guard. They still don't have right. another backup guard. Notre guards are Matt Farrell and TJ Gibbs, really good. Everybody else is a big man, and Rex Fluger another guard. That's they got to have him out there. I mean, he helps defensively more than people know. He was. I think he's a little overrated defensively, and I want to bring this up because Tim and I have a vote. You know, Irish Illustrated has a vote for uh, ACC honors, player of the year, all those things, and they, you know, you try to get it ready before you go on the website. It's kind of a detailed process. Theo Pinson, who was the first team all defense, Tim and I voted for is our one vote as the defensive player of the year. He guards Matt Farrell one day, and he guards Marvin the III in another day. Yeah, that That's a different kind of world defensively. He wasn't on the ballot for Defensive Player of the Year, but Rex Pflueger was. So he has a reputation as a good defender. I think coaches think Rex is better than fans do. But Rex Pflueger was way worse than I thought he would be on offense this year. So I'm um, kind of split in the middle on these things. He will, really shot badly.
1: Yeah, I mean, with Pflueger... I don't think he was ever a great shooter, but I do think his back is a real problem. Um, and Bray is sort of papering over that. Um, it's one of those situations where his back is really messed up and it's not going to get any better until the offseason. So they're just sort of like gutting it out yep. and they're getting what they can out of him. unfortunately, they have to ask more out of him than is probably fair to ask yeah, out of I a agree. guy who's hurting. But that's, that's just where the roster is. So <laughs> be it. Um, next up... Back to football, C. Norman, 83. Which upperclassmen have the most to prove in order to not get passed up by
0: younger players? I mean, I think there's plenty. Um, you start at safety, though, right? It's People have been trying to bench Nick Coleman and Jalen Elliott for a while now. I'm not sure. I still believe one of them is going to start on opening day. Um, it would not floor me if they both did. I don't think it would be a good sign if they both did, though. I think that means... Notre Dame doesn't have what we and fans believe they have coming up in the safety ranks mm-hmm. with Gilman and Derek Allen. I mean, it's, it's a tough call to make Derek Allen start right away at Notre Dame at safety and a safety driven defense, as they say. But I think the safeties are the key there. Um, Nick Watkins, just because there's Sean Crawford and Troy pride. That's a tough seeing to hold it down. Um, I would say a guy like Jay Hayes because Khalid Cream has a really nice upside and he's coming on, but Jay Hayes is going to have a role, so it's not... It doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't. I mean, Andrew Trimbetti technically got passed up and he was more productive than all the other ends last year. So that's... It's, you get roles and you and it's you, if you produce or not.
1: Three guys came to mind for me. Asmar Bilal was one uh, just because of the Rover situation. I think, I think that's a position where they will... St- they will start multiple guys there during the year. I don't know what order it's going to be or how many guys are going to start in which spot. I, I feel similar to Rover to right tackle last year when I said, I don't know who wins the job, but they're both going to play or they're you know, both going to start that happen. Nick Wisher at tight end, I don't, you know, that if he had a totally healthy shoulder, I probably would not put him on the list. Um, but, you know, Brock Wright is also banged up. That's why I... Komet is I, also out. And, you know, Alexi Mack, you just don't really know what you're going to get there. So, I just... I think he's a guy that's going to rotate. I also don't think he has quite the the fifth-year upside that Durham Smythe did. And Komet and Wright are a year older. They should be even closer to him than they already were, if not moving past
0: him. I agree with all that. If Brock Wright's shoulder were totally healthy, I don't think it'd be a question. I think it is a question because it's not. um, But I guess I viewed Wisher as a 2A, 2B tight end coming back anyway the whole time, so... I just think he'll That's be part weird. of the four tight ends that play.
1: Yeah, I mean, I That's, think he's somebody that you would want back one hundred times out of one hundred. And then uh, Trevor Ruland, I'm just sort of interested as considering they had this parade of six foot six, three hundred pound offensive linemen, How does the six foot three, three hundred pound offensive lineman fit in that group if, if sort of? Um, Football IQ carries the day there versus guys who have NFL measurables because they, they definitely have some sophomores with
0: NFL measurables. A tight end might be first guy to be healthy, fully healthy. That's out of Brock Wright, yeah. Nick Wisher, and and Alzay Mack becoming consistent player. He's got to be. They're not going to rely on Alzay Mack until he proves he can be relied on.
1: Yeah, I mean, so, somebody's going to suffer a season altering injury at that position because somebody always suffers a season altering. Injury at that position, it's it's a car crash spot.
0: Did you, does Comet being a sophomore and being a really good baseball player at all hurt him winning the job? Um,
1: I don't. Well, it doesn't help. No, that's so. I I, can't so, help. So, so, so logically, it sort of has yeah. to hurt. I just don't think it hurts that, that much because I do think that Cole Komet, from the day he showed up on campus to talking to people around the program last week, everyone was like. Cole Komet is a freaking superstar who's probably a three-year player for us. The
0: first time I saw him walk into Levar practice complex visiting as a high school student, I didn't see his face. I was like, who is that? He's one of those guys. That stature. There's about two a year. Stefan it's the all-time who is that the first time you saw him. Kyle Rudolph is the who is that look. Cole Komet's got that. It's Mm -hmm. like, what is that guy? That's a football player right there. So, unfortunately, he's a really good baseball player, too. Or fortunately, depending on which you're a fan of. Yes.
1: (laughs) Uh, fresh 16-19, so sounds like strobe Lights and Speed School are the new training buzzwords on why we don't see another late season collapse outside of waiting until the USC game ends. What are the signs you will look for beyond the hype that we are on the right track?
0: I'm going off, off the reservation here first. I don't think Notre Dame is going to wilt mentally in November again. I think that was a special occurrence in that Miami game. I think Brad Cullen's getting sick of talking about it. He's he has admitted it and players have admitted it more than they have any right to as, as athletes that they just shrunk. I mean, their captains admit it, their young guys admit it, their coach admits it. That, I think, is gone from most of the guys because of that experience they had to live through it. I don't believe Notre Dame will be good in November until I see them be good in November. Those the signs were all there last year.
1: Great did offensive
0: you, line. I, be, I believe you wrote this in a column. I did. Great <laughs> offensive line. A running game, which is what carries you through November. A defense that gives up... Two touchdowns or fewer a game, which is what carries you in November. Total confidence. All of those things were present entering November, and it all still happens. So there is no sign I can see until the end of November. Notre names better or quality, just as good of a football team in November.
1: Yeah, it's the ultimate, I'll believe it when I see it. So, well, let's let's do the podcast after after the Northwestern game. I know that, I think Navy is, Navy, Navy is the last week of October. But after Northwestern, that five game stretch, I think two games into it, you'll sort of know like, okay, this is trending one way or the other. Because if Navy goes like Navy went last year, and Northwestern goes like Wake Forest went last yeah. year, it's a friggin' alarm bell. Because um, Florida State awaits. Because that is that is a team that is not improving in November. Well, they have to fly to East first to play a game. Right. I don't know if you know that or not. They're going to play I, a game. I, I a heard that. Yeah, I heard that. So it, it's just it's a difficult situation. They have a tough schedule, but they if, have a
0: tough backloaded schedule. It's the worst setup. <laughs> I can't get back on this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the schedule. I don't know who did this. I'm pretty sure going to call into the show he here. This it's it's like, Wait,
1: I sense them talking about the Shamrock series. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's the ultimate setup to be six and one again.
1: Yeah, it's it, it really is. It's a very good schedule or better. It's favorable <laughs> in the beginning if you beat Michigan and then
0: at Virginia Tech. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's a tough environment. Yeah, environments. No. But
1: well, that was actually something when I I talked to uh, Drew Schranzle today a little bit about sort of the the Miami themed workout, and he referenced like, look, we got to go to Blacksburg. That's going to be friggin' loud too. So get used to it. Yeah. Um, they're a little bit more eyes wide open with that kind of stuff, but I I, I share fresh 1619's healthy skepticism about things being different because really the, the last three Novembers have been trending well last four
0: Novembers. I wrote, last four Novembers yes. have been trending down. I wrote that story because I fully believed they were they had everything in place to be good in November this year. Mm-hmm. Running game, defense, offensive line, and at that time the quarterback was you know playing fine. He, he had a really good day against NC State. That was his best.
1: He was excellent against USC yeah, as yeah, well.
0: Yeah, so it's... No, there are no signs. <laughs> signs don't exist. They just have to do it. They have to prove it. And I think they know that finally. I think Brian Kelly's not going to talk too much about it because of what happened last year. No. Nope. Maddie Heps 14, with the vague quotes from Cade McNamara saying, things have been said, some things haven't been done. What really went down? I realize there may be things you cannot share, but if you could possibly shed a little more light on what the heck Cade was talking about, it would be great.
1: I don't know what the heck Kate is talking about, to be honest. And I talked to a handful of people around Notre Dame about like, okay, what what the heck is the deal here? And the answer I got back every single time was Phil Jerkovic basically scared him off. Um, so if that's the case, then that's the case. Now, I, I understand that the response is, wait a minute, he Phil was committed when Kate committed. That doesn't make any sense. Um, and if you want to... Say that everything a teenager does has to be logical. I agree, but that's not how it works um, in recruiting. And I think, especially after Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, I think USC was involved a little bit too. Like, once you're sort of hit on the recruiting trail and they know what the play is to go against you, and you get hammered and hammered and hammered, and like you have four schools doing it, then I think. Kay McNamara is probably somebody who got his head turned a little bit. So I, I don't think Notre Dame did anything wrong or right um, in the last month that would sway this recruitment one way or the other. I, I think that – and this is this is something that Notre Dame will tell you. They would almost prefer you're committed somewhere else when they recruit you because then they know what they have to pick off. And all these other schools knew exactly what they had to pick off with Kay McNamara, what the wedge issue was. And that was Phil Dracova coming in in – the summer and Brian Kelly saying that he thinks he's the best quarterback in the country. That, that was an easy play. I didn't think that what happened was going to happen, or I didn't right, think right. that was going to happen. That K. McNamara was just sort to be like, Oh, you're right. I don't want to sit. Um, Cause I mean, talking to people around the program, it, it certainly sounds like McNamara and Reese had a good relationship. McNamara and Polian had a good relationship. Um, so it was, it was definitely a surprise, but I think that, I think that we're sort of overthinking it. If you look at this and say, "Well, is this is this a Brandon Wimbush problem?" Um, I think it's a quarterback play problem from last oh, year. Yeah, yeah. Okay. like I'm going to go there and not develop. Um, I think it's just a, a Phil Dracovic
0: problem. I would, think, which I would is think not I a problem. It's <laughs> no, it's not. It's it's what you bring in. I mean, if Phil Dracovic is good, the next quarterback that follows him is the least yeah. important you're going to recruit of the next three, right? Yes. Yeah. He'll you, you, be staggering it anyway, or be, it's a natural stagger because the guy doesn't get to play. So, I don't, yeah, the the, the some things haven't been done was the only weird part. I don't know that. Maybe he just misspoke, too. <laughs> I mean, it's not. You not have yeah. to be a great order to be answering questions as, no, as I mean, a high I, school I,
1: recruit. It, that's another thing. Yeah. It's like, if you read too much into what high school kids say, that's on you.
0: Like, don't really put that on a high school kid. That That's just how things go. Terry Benedict, what will be the fool's goal of spring practice this year? He gives examples like offensive line, since there's a new coach, QB improvement, running back stepping up, safety play, wide receivers.
1: That's a good question because, I mean, there's always one or two of those yeah. things where we come out of spring and be like, wow, they are really improved in this. Or, like, I, I like this fourth team guy who now looks like he could really help as a 1A and then you never hear from him again. Um you know, to get back to an earlier answer, I think sort of the, the November, we're going to be better in November. Like, I don't really, I don't believe it until I see it. And I think Brian Kelly would feel the same way if, you know, he's being totally honest, which he kind of has been. I, you know, I'd say Wimbush accuracy. Yeah, that's a that, logical one. It's a question it? that I would like to phrase to Brian Kelly this way. Basically, is there anything Brandon Wimbush could show you in the next six weeks that would make you 100% confident that everything is fixed and ready to go for Michigan. And I don't think that there is. Because I, I think in the same way that he's not going to know they're better in November until they're better in November, he's not going to know Brandon Wimbush is more accurate in a college football game until he's more accurate in a college football game. So th- those would be sort of my two things.
0: I With Fool's goal, you got to be right, because there's no way Brian Kelly is coming out of this spring saying I don't feel comfortable with our quarterback situation. And he's going make him look, he's going to give him chances to look good He's going to make them comfortable. They're going to probably look pretty good in the blue-goal game unless there's an elements issue going on. And As they did last year. Yeah, yeah. It's... I think the fool's gold. And I guess the key to that is if the quarterbacks are good, it's not fool's gold. But there's... You know what? I would like to put it this way. They're all on offense for me. I think the whole thing offensively. I'm going to need to see them play against Michigan and at Virginia Tech and those type of games to see if the offense can be close to what it was last year when they had the best offensive line in Mm -hmm. two decades at Notre Dame. I think think the offense is my question mark. Safety play will be better this year, even if it's the two guys. They'll just be better in the defense. Even if it's Elliott and Coleman, they're going to be be better and make some plays. Uh, I don't think it'll be those guys all the way through. I don't have faith in the offense.
1: They just lost too much. They lost. They lost yeah. a ton. Um, there's no. There's no way around that. I don't. And I don't think anyone around the program is going to be like our offensive line is is better or any weird. No, way I don't away. think so either. Um, I do think that somebody could talk themselves into saying the running back position will be better. I, I think that's ridiculous. Um, they wanted Josh Adams back desperately, even when he was hobbling around on one leg. Um, so I think the running back room has. Way more to prove than maybe sort of the public perception of that group. Um I don't I don't look at Dexter Williams and Tony Jones and just think, well, everything's gonna snap into place for them.
0: The receivers could be better simply because the quarterbacks could be better and more accurate. It's you know, they lost yeah. they lost what a guy that apparently is really helping his NFL stock and they lost their best receiver. Mm-hmm. From a year that was down production in and Stepherson and Equinemius St. Brown. But if the quarterback's more accurate, they have enough. I think they have enough at wide receiver. i, I they don't have they had more last year though. I mean, they had more talent last year, but especially once Severson came back, they really, that's a decent collection of pass catchers they had last yeah. year. Yeah, I mean, they
1: had, like, you saw what EQ did at the Combine, and I'm not saying that translated to the football field. No, but he had good games week.
0: prior to the middle of last year. But there was something career, to work yeah. with there, yes.
1: and who so, knows what they have now. Um, you know, Jafar Armstrong, Chris Fink... Javon McKinley, I think those fit into like the speed school beneficiaries. According to Brian Kelly, I think that's sort of a, an interesting dynamic there. But um,
0: he's got kind of an X factor, Ace McKinley, from a guy that was totally written off. He was, yeah. There's just so much opportunity there. Like yeah. if you're any good at all now, you get a chance to be in the in the rotation. Right. Like, they have eight wide receivers right now.
1: Yeah, and I'll be curious to see if they how they rotate that group through because if it's if it's sort of a traits over talent. I mean, I think that Miles um, Boykin is is going to stay on the field a lot. Chris Fink's going to stay on the field a lot. Michael Young, and Michael Young will stay on the field a lot. Um, I don't know how everything will shake out for the rest of that group. Uh, and then we had a couple quarterback theme questions: Jake Hagan and Baron Brown. Baron wants to know: All right, who starts against Michigan and? What? <laughs> and Jake Hagan wants to know, Booker Wimbush, do you think the quarterback competition is almost an unnecessary uh, bit of media attention? Like, do you think Brian, Ke- like, as if Brian Kelly's inviting that uh, on the program for attention? Uh, I think the Citrus Bowl cemented that it was reality. Yeah. Because I, I think he's been pretty upfront. Like, uh, I would rather have a starter and yes. play one guy, but sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And, like,
0: as a coach, you don't really get to pick. And the Citrus Bowl. It was almost the worst case scenario for Brandon Wimbush. It's better that they won, because now Notre Dame fans won't hate him. <laughs> but it didn't go well that Ian Book was the hero in that yeah. game for I mean that was the only thing that opened up a quarterback controversy going into this off season was that Ian Book was the hero of the Citrus Bowl when they benched their starting quarterback who had been struggling for the last four games. Yeah, and, and, and we'd
1: spent the entire month talking about how his mechanics were getting straightened out, and so on and forth, forth, and he had been able to hit the reset button on on the, his season.
0: I was surprised, and I, we talked about this pre podcast that Brian Kelly basically said, "Look, Brandon Wimbush has he did a lot of good things. He's right now he's our starter, but Ian Book has the chance to compete for the starting job." I thought you would just come out and say, "Well, I mean, you know, we have two good quarterbacks. We'll find out." I think it is telling. It's almost that he has to kind of lift up Brandon Wimbush a little bit. Mm -hmm. He's probably down in the dumps, uh, or at least he was after the game. that's human nature. But I don't think he needs to prop up Ian Book, and I think he's propping up Brandon Wimbush a little bit. I'm the guy that says he thinks it's going to be Wimbush, but still.
1: Right. And, I mean, I asked about that, I think, on Monday, about, like, do you see sort of a different Wimbush walking around? He's like, yeah, I mean, it's a little more B, you know, maybe I think he gave the footballs more important to him. Yeah, answer, that was a strange I, one to me. Cause that caught me off guard because that's it's usually reserved for like the Corey Robinson, Jerry Tillerys of the world who are like have mm-hmm. a million. Really, and I think Wimbush actually, if you think you take a step back, I, I think they're just not as publicized as much. But he does have a lot of different uh,
0: different interests outside of football. I, that's, uh, and it's hard to do as a quarterback. It is, but as a quarterback, I don't know, football had to be pretty important to him. It's pretty important to him last year when they're number three. I bet. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> right? It's not like, it's, I don't know. I don't I don't like the quarterback storyline every time. <laughs> it's driving <me> crazy, man. <laughs>
1: We've had a lot of those uh, around Notre Dame. So I think that's it for this week's podcast. We'll be back on Monday, March 12th to talk brackets, whether Notre Dame is in or
0: out. We can talk NIT if not. Yeah, well, as we're
1: recording, Notre Dame's up 12-10 on Pittsburgh. with are 13-23 to go
0: And app. if they can defeat Duke, that'll just strengthen America. Yes. Yeah. As we all know. <laughs> <laughs> so until Monday,
1: March 12th, we'll have Tim Priester back with us at that point, our next Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. So until then, thanks for listening.